Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to be looking at Ephesians 6.18. And it reads as follows, With all prayer and petition at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petition for the saints of God. Today we come to the end of the series that we had entitled called, O Church Arise. As we looked at Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18, and we saw many components of the spiritual armor that our Lord provides for us to fight this very unseen but very real, real enemy. Remember back in verse 12, for our struggle is not a flesh and blood but against rulers, against powers, against world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Our enemy is not a seen enemy. Our enemy doesn't wear a uniform. Our enemy who comes against the church of Jesus Christ is an unseen enemy. And make no mistake about our enemy. Our enemy hates us. Hates us. And wants to do everything humanly possible to tear down the church of Jesus Christ and to tear down Christians. The armor of God that we've been studying has not been given to the believer. And I want you to to really consider this. The armor of God described in Ephesians chapter 6 has not been given to the believer so that the believer lives an incident-free life or problem-free life as is being told in many churches today. But rather, as believers, armor is given to us so that we will battle. So that we will enter into the war. God does not say, hey, I'm going to armor you up. I'm going to give you all these weapons so nothing will come upon you. But armor is given for us to engage in holy combat. We may even get wounded in the combat. The armor of God is given to the believer to protect us in battle, not to protect us from battle. So we get ready to close this sermon series. I encourage the church that now, now is the time for the church of Christ to arise and enter in the fray. We must run to the battle. Armor up and we need to show courage. I love these verses. The Lord is our strength and our shield. The name of the Lord is a high tower. The righteous run in and they are safe. As I previously shared regarding the epistle to the Ephesians, I shared with you that Paul in the epistle of the Ephesians details the immeasurable blessings that are ours in Christ. Just in chapter 1, here's just a few things that he says. In verse 3 of chapter 1, that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. In, chapter, in verses 4 and 5 in chapter 1, Paul tells us that we are chosen by God, predestined, adopted as sons and daughters of God. In verses 6 through 8 in verse 1, he tells us we are lavished with His grace. In verse 7, we are redeemed and forgiven In verse 13 and 14, we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. And he goes on in chapter 2 to detail the amazing grace that saved us. All of the epistle of Ephesians is about the immeasurable blessings that Christ has bestowed upon the church. It is said of Ephesians that it begins by lifting you to the heavenlies and it ends by bringing you to your knees. Today we're going to look at the last important element in arming for warfare, and that is prayer. And we're going to see in verse 18, three critical principles that Paul speaks of regarding prayer, and they are, number one, we are to pray. Number two, we are to pray in the Holy Spirit, and number three, We are to pray for the saints, for the church. So let's look at the text of Ephesians 6, 
18. As I previously read, I'll read it again. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for the saints. The great writer of prayer, one of the greatest writers about prayers, was a gentleman named Ian Bounds. Ian Bounds writes this, Nothing distinguishes the children of God so clearly and strongly as prayer. It is one of the infallible marks and tests of being a Christian. Christian people are prayerful. Worldly-minded are prayerless. Christians call on God. Worldly ignore God and call not on His name. J. Oswald Sanders wrote this, Prayer is the means by which our desires can be redirected and aligned with the will of God. As we expectantly pray for light concerning the will of God on any matter, if our desires are not in line with His will, He will make it clear. If we are willing, He will change and redirect our desires, as Paul assures us. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do, to His good pleasure. D.L. Moody, speaking of how the Spirit works in prayer with the believer, wrote this, It is the work of the Spirit to impress the heart and seal the preached Word. His office is to take the things of Christ and reveal them unto us. Prayer is the fuel of the Christian life. That word prayer means to exchange wishes, but in a spiritual sense, what it means literally is to interact with the Lord by switching human wishes and ideas for His wishes as He imparts faith. As we come together to meet the Lord, the purpose of prayer is to align our wills, is to align our desires, is to come in and to press in and get to know God. Show me a Christian who prays, who has a strong prayer life, and I will show you a strong Christian. Show me a person who professes Christ, that does not pray, that does not spend time alone with the Lord in prayer, in meditation and contemplation of the Word of God, and I will show you a weak person with a weak spiritual life, and in the final analysis may not even be saved. As I quoted from Ian Bounds, he stated this, Nothing distinguishes the children of God so clearly and strongly as prayer. And notice what he says, It is one of the infallible marks and tests of being a Christian. Prayer is indeed the mark and test of being a Christian. I never understand whenever we have prayer meetings or anything, and I've seen this in, in years and years in the church. You could, you could pack out the church for a, a covered dish luncheon. You could pack out the church for a special, theater, uh, a special play or a special drama. You could pack out the church if you have such and such group come and, and they're going to do worship and music. But when it comes time to pray, where are the people of God and where are they praying? The people of God are prayerful people. The people of God need to be on our knees and our faces before God. There is indeed no substitute. You can listen to all the Christian music you want to listen to. You can listen to all the preachers that you wanted to. You can listen to all, every see every kind of Christian film and everything else. If you are not on your knees before God praying... You know not God. And I will venture to say to you, as I've said many times before, there are many, many people who know the Word of God. But there are very few people who know the God of the Word. Where are the Elijahs of God? Where are the Jeremiahs of God? Look at our nation and mourn and weep and lament. It is falling into the sewer. It is falling into the gutter. Where are God's people interceding and praying for the church of Jesus Christ at this time right now? You think that falls to somebody else? You cannot default your Christianity. If you call yourself by the name of Christ, 
then if you are a follower of Christ, don't you desire to meet Christ in prayer? Don't you desire to meet God in prayer? Don't you love Him? Don't you desire Him? Don't you want Him more? I think about tonight. I think it's tonight. I don't follow this stuff, but I heard the commercial the other day. I think tonight is the Grammys. Right? Is that true? Grammys, a Golden Globe, or some stupid award? And all the, the arrogant people of the world, all the ones that millions idolize, are going to gather tonight to praise each other and talk about how wonderful and, oh, what a film, what a thing, oh, what a genius this person is. And have you noticed that most of those award ceremonies are led by decadent people who practice decadent things and the world loves it. They run to it. And what grieves my heart even more is that Christians will be watching tonight. Giving their time and lending their support to this. When we should be the people of God on our knees, interceding, praying, beseeching to come to God. What does the Scripture say about prayer being the hallmark of the believer? Well, in Luke 6, 12, we're told that Jesus spent the whole night in prayer. The whole night in prayer. In Acts 1.14, we're told the apostles were continually devoting themselves to prayer and to the Word of God. In Acts 4.31, after the disciples were threatened with violence, after healing, after healing a man, after healing a man. We see the absurdity in our society today, right? We think of Pastor James Coates in Canada, in prison for preaching the gospel in Canada. And we go, how can that happen? Well, in Jesus' time, Peter and John healed a man at the temple gate and they were threatened. We're going to kill you if you continue to speak more of this Jesus. And they go back to the believers in Acts 4.31, one of my favorite passages of Scripture of all. And they come together and they pray. And they pray what? Lord, protect us. Lord, bind them. Lord, do this. No. Grant that thy servants may speak thy word with all boldness. And in Acts 4.31, we are told that when the church gathered together to pray in light of the threats, that the place where they had gathered was shaken. And they began to speak the word of God with all all boldness man that's one prayer meeting i want to be i would have liked to have been at in acts 6 4 the apostles defined their ministry by saying we will devote ourselves to prayer in the ministry of the word of god in first corinthians 7 5 paul tells the church to commit themselves to prayer and fasting in philippians 4 6 paul tells the church be anxious for nothing but with everything, by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And he goes on to say, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. Prayer is the epicenter of the Christian life. It is the source and fuel that provides power and intensity. It is the recognition of the sovereignty of God as one who is larger than us. It is coming to the throne room of God and to the cross of Christ. It is the seat of repentance and the hall of restoration. We are told in prayer to bear many things and to forbear many things. It is in prayer that our anxieties can be released in the light and in the presence of our glorious God and Savior. Do you know that? Do you know coming to the Lord? Do you know to come into the throne room of God where you can indeed meet God? In our desperation, in our dark moments, in the times when we come into that throne room and we cannot even utter human words. 
that the Spirit himself would intercede for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes on behalf of God. Oh, if you're not coming to the throne room of grace, if you're not dedicating time in prayer, Christian, I beg you, I implore you by the mercies of God, get on your knees, reserve a time. You may say to me, preacher, you have no idea. When am I going to have be a time to come before the Lord? I get up at 5.30 in the morning. And then I have an hour drive to work, and then I work 10, 12 hours. Then I come home, and I, I have dinner, and I have to take the kids over here, and i got to take the kids over there. And by the time my day is over, it's 11, 12 o'clock at night. Want a simple answer? You get up at 5.30, get up at 5. Is God not worth it? Could you not do more minus 30 minutes of sleep but dedicated time in the presence of God the Father and God the Holy Spirit than you can with that extra half hour of sleep? Do you hunger for Christ? Do you thirst after Christ? Do you desire the things of the Spirit? Then do so. Prayer restores Prayer revives. Prayer relinquishes. Prayer focuses our mind on the Heavenly Father. It centers our will on His will. Prayer makes the weak strong, makes the humble, uh, makes humble the proud and the haughty, allows the believer to know the mind and the will of God, fills us with the Spirit of God, and causes that we, the servants of God, would indeed speak His word. With all boldness. We talk about the Harvest Project. Rick said something in his testimony that was so great. He said, I, never, I didn't care about anybody else. I was happy that I was saved, but I didn't care about anybody else. And then the Lord gave Rich a burden. Speak the word. Preach the word. Get out there and share the gospel with as many people as I can. Did that just come out of sheer logic? As we press into God, as we know His will, His will, listen, His will is that all His creatures would declare the glory of God, and the glory of God is declared in the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. If you do not declare the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you know nothing of the glory of God. It is in prayer and prayer alone that as a believer in Christ, that we can come and know the mind of God. To pray is as vital to the believer as air is to the human body. Prayer is not an option. It is a duty. It is not an option. It is a duty. And let me share something. Prayerlessness is sin. Plain and simple. So as a believer, there is no option to refrain I would also submit that the prayer that the person who has not the desire to pray to be alone with God to lift up his praises to our mighty God who is content with their pleasures and pays no attention to the Lord with all honesty this is perhaps one of the most significant signs of unbelief. Oh everybody you know the old saying right there's no atheists in foxholes right? When things go wrong everybody all of a sudden finds God oh God how can you do this to me, God? I'm, I'm not getting this. I don't understand. What did I do? I don't deserve this. But if Christ is indeed your Savior, if you had at the, at, the, at the cross repented and turned from your sins and by faith appropriated the finished work of Christ into your heart, that you would indeed be born again. Let me ask a very logical question. How could you show contempt for Christ by not coming into His presence and worshiping Him? In Ephesians 6.18, capping off all of this whole text on arming us up, 
the command of Paul is that we as believers would pray. And there's an implication here in verse 6.18. And the implication is this, that the arming in and of itself is inadequate without prayer as the source and the energy and strength that God gives us. You know, a true warrior is not made by the, uh, is not known by the equipment he carries. If you look at our military today, many a strong person who has entered into the military, we send our military into the battle equipped with the latest and the greatest, most powerful weapons that we can. And the infantryman, in addition to having a rifle, has hand grenades and bazookas, and he has all this other military power that he has. That's not what defines a warrior. Because when the bullets start flying, we see something all throughout history that occurs. When the bullets start flying, many people freeze. Even though they're armed and they're equipped with everything. The warrior is known by his heart. He's known by his courage. He's known by his bravery. And when the bullets start flying, it is the warrior who is able to think act and respond accordingly well prayer is that vehicle for those of us to be able to act and think and respond when the enemy starts firing away prayer is power for the believer that provides courage strength and the will to fight the spiritual battle Is it any small reason why the Apostle Paul here at the end of this chapter after having gone through all of the armaments after he's told us to gird our loins with truth in verse 14 and put on the breastplate of righteousness after he has told us to shot our feet with the preparation of the gospel in the belt of truth in verse 15 after he has told us taking up the shield of faith which is able to extinguish the flaming missiles of the evil one in verse 16. After he told us to put on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. That he culminates this with, with all prayer and petition. Pray at all times. As a matter of fact, he talks about petition there. Paul states that we are to pray and petition the Lord. Petition means to entreat. It is supplication. It's prayer. It's like making requests known. And we love our petitions, don't we? We love our requests, don't we? To ask for our needs. This is an area that I find gets murky at times within the church of Jesus Christ. But there is a problem. When our prayers are full of petitions needs for ourselves and our comfort, then it tells that our prayers are full of ourselves rather than full of God. And bad theology and popular heresies are admonishing people, pray and God will give it to you. He's that magic genie in the sky. Rub the lantern, get three wishes. God just wants to give you health. He wants to give you wealth. He wants to give you prosperity. He wants to pour it all out upon you. It doesn't matter whether you live like a heathen. It doesn't matter whether you live in disobedience to his word. It doesn't matter that you don't spend time. Here's a formula. I'll give you this formula. And if you do this formula, everything will happen. I remember several years ago was very, very popularized, a million, uh, a bestseller, New York Times bestseller, The Prayer of Jabez. Some guy said, oh, I came across this prayer in the scripture, and I prayed it, and all of a sudden everything happened. I got a million dollars, I got this, I got that, and boom, what did he do? Well, he said, the best way to make a million dollars is sell a book. So he formularized the prayer of Jabez. He said, well, if you pray this prayer, all your dreams will come true. That's what our society likes to hear. Tell me something good, pastor. Tell me something good, preacher. Tell me how I'm going to get more, more of everything. I'm going to delight my heart and my desire. And it became a runaway bestseller. I remember watching way back when, I think I was at an airport, the Today Show. 
And the author was on there, the prayer of Jabez. Many a good prayer meeting degenerates into nothing more than laundry list of things. Things that are designed for our comfort, things that are designed for our pleasures, things that are designed to make us feel good. Let me share something with you. The heart of prayer is to know God. Let him who boasts boast of this, says the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Let him who boasts boast of this, that he knows and understands me, that I am the Lord. How many of us can say, I know and I understand God, that he is indeed the Lord? To pray is to have fellowship with him. It is to grow in grace and faith in Christ. To commune with the mighty triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. True Christian prayer drives us upward, not inward. And he does not bring God down. Therefore, our petitions would be such that will bring us into deeper fellowship with him. What did Jesus think about earthly needs? Well, in Matthew 6, 11, and what is called the Lord's Prayer, this is all the time he spends on it. Ready? Give us this day our daily bread. Interesting. In Matthew 6, 31 through 33, our Lord Jesus says this, Do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? With what shall we be clothed? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all things. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Believer, what are you to do? You're to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all things will be added unto you. I'm going to tell you something. We had a prayer meeting on Wednesday night. And before the prayer meeting began, all we did was pray. That's it. There was no devotion. There was nothing else. And we're having one this Wednesday night at 7.30. And I might as well tell you the ground rules. So ground rules are this. We, we come together to pray. We don't ask for anything for ourselves. That the Lord already knows our needs. So whatever's on our heart, take that to the Lord in prayer yourself. But when we gather together as a church to come together and pray... We're going to pray that God is going to, we're praying for intercession for our church. We're praying that God would pour out his spirit and we're praying for revival. That's what we're praying for. And we're going to worship and praise him. So the only things that should come out of your mouth is worship, praise, intercede for the church, that God would bring revival. Let me tell you something. One of the best prayer meetings I think I ever had. One of the best, one of the best prayer meetings. Shocked by the people who prayed. By the way, it's opened up to people outside the church too. And you know what? There are people on there that are newly saved that got on there never even knew the formula for praying and just started opening up and praying to God. And I encourage everybody in this church, man, it's Zoom. It cannot be more convenient. It's Zoom. Come on out Wednesday night, 7.30 p.m. Come on out and pray with us as we intercede for the church. Folks, these are the days of darkness. Let us rise up. Let us be men and women on our knees, beseeching God and praying before God and communing with Him. Let's not go to that laundry list of prayers, but rather let's use our prayers to get to know God to desire God, to press into God that the glory would be seen on earth. Wickedness rules our land. I hope you know that. Wickedness rules our land. And the burden on the heart of every Christian, the burden on the heart of every believer would be, oh God, that the glory of Christ would fill the church again that the glory and the power and the living transcended gospel would fill his church again. 
So Paul commands us here in Ephesians 6.18 that we're to pray and pray with petition. Here's the second thing. Paul tells us to pray in the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to pray in the Holy Spirit? The truth of the matter is, is we are to seek after the Spirit of God in the same manner that we seek after the Father. With the same passion, Ian Bounds again makes this amazing statement. The truth is that the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit or any given meaning is conditioned on praying in faith. He goes on to state the secret of prayerlessness, listen to this, the secret of prayerlessness is the absence of the work of the Holy Spirit in us. The secret of feeble praying everywhere is the lack of God's Spirit in His mightiness. Church, we need to seek the Spirit of God. We need to pray that the power of the Holy Spirit descends upon us. That we would be full to all the fullness of Christ. It is only through prayer in the Holy Spirit that the deep things of God are revealed that we can know the will of God for us. It is in the Spirit where we do battle against these dark spiritual forces. It is in the Holy Spirit and in prayer that we come to places of faith that transcend the natural mind. And let me tell you, victories can be found. Turn with me in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I want to show you this. It was part of our scripture reading this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul, speaking of the work of the Holy Spirit, beginning in verse 10, says this, For to us God has revealed them how? Through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of man except the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. As we come together to pray, as we set our heart in affection with His will, as we come together to pray in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit searches the mind of God. Look what he says in verse 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God that we might know the things freely given to us by God. Notice that. That we might know the things freely given to us by God. James says you don't have because you don't ask. If you're a prayerless Christian, you're obviously not being moved by the Holy Spirit. But if you are in the Spirit, if you are pleading, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, if you want to know the mind of God, then in the Holy Spirit you can come and the Spirit of God can reveal the deep things of God. And it's given to us freely, as Paul says there in verse 12. Look at verse 13, verse 13. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Don't you want to know the deep things of God? I do. Well, there's a way. And it's through prayer. The person of the Holy Spirit works with the believer in prayer and reveals the deep things of God to the believer through the working of the Holy Spirit. We have a tendency to pray in, uh, in our own power according to our own mind and according to our own will and that it will is always self-centered, selfish, and self-inspired. That is why most prayer meetings degenerate into nothing more than a laundry list. Of things. But when we pray in the Holy Spirit, the Spirit trims our praying down to the will of God. Then we have the mind of Christ and pray as He would have us pray. His thoughts, His purposes are our thoughts and our purposes. But to pray in this manner, 
One must seek and desire the Holy Spirit's working in our lives through prayer. Prayer is the key. In Ephesians 5.18, you don't have to turn there. Paul says this about the Holy Spirit. He says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But he says, be filled with the Spirit. To be filled kind of gives the illustration of a sailboat as it turns into the wind and the sail gets billowed by the wind and the sail extends and it is guided along on the wind, that sailboat. Also to be filled could be equated to taking a cup and filling it up and filling it up and filling it up until there's literally no more room until it overflows. Wouldn't you want to be filled with the Spirit of God to the point that it overflows that it overflows. D.L. Moody talks about the time he was walking down Wall Street and the Spirit of God came on him and it filled him to such a degree, to such a matter, that he said, I had to entreat the Lord, Father, make it stop lest I be consumed and die with the glory of God. Church, can we all agree that we all need more of Christ? Can we all agree that we all need more of His Spirit? Then we must come together in prayer in the Holy Spirit to seek Him and to desire Him. Paul also commands us there in verse 18 to pray at all times. What does it mean to pray at all times? To pray at all times is to have a persistent and a continual God consciousness. That is what we live in. We live for it, and everything we experience becomes a form of prayer. Living in a deep awareness and a full surrender to God. I think this is best seen in Galatians 2.20. Some of you may know this by heart. But Paul in Galatians 2.20 makes this incredible statement. I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore... It is, I no longer live, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up to me. There it is. A full God consciousness. To the point that the apostle can say, my life no longer lives. It doesn't matter. It's Christ who liveth in me. That's what God conscious. I remember talking to Bob Runyon weeks before he died. And every time Bob Runyon would call me up, he'd call me up and we'd talk about things in the Scripture. We'd talk about history. We'd talk about current events. But this time we were talking about the things of God. And Bob Runyon said something to the effect to me. He goes, Mark, I can't stop thinking about these things. Like every minute it's on my mind. The scripture's on my mind or a hymn is on my mind or I find myself praying, it's on my mind. I said, praise God. The first sign of revival is God consciousness. He brings this God consciousness. He floods your mind. Your mind gets saturated with the things of God. We see so many weak churches. We see so many formalistic traditional churches whose minds are filled with everything else except the mind of Christ and the mind of God. And if God is going to do a work in us, if God is going to do a work in America, if He is going to awaken the church in this nation, then God needs to fill our minds and we need to get that God consciousness that we are not separate. We don't have a Christian life and a secular life. We don't have a professional job and a Christian job. That Christ is indeed all and all. As the Apostle said, it is Him in, in whom we live and move and we have our being. Paul states his life is crucified with Christ. He's fully surrendered to Christ. The third principle here found in verse 18 of Ephesians 6. Paul's last admonition. Pray for the saints. The saints equal the church. Pray for the church. Pray for those in the church. Is there ever a time, church, that we indeed need to pray for the church universal? We began our service praying for Pastor James Coates out in Canada and Alberta. A man we know not, 
but a man who's a brother to us in Christ, who is standing for the things of God. And we need to pray for those that are persecuted in communist nations. We need to pray for the Christians in North Korea who are in detention camps and concentration camps. We need to pray for the Christians in India that are being assaulted by Hindus. We need to pray for Christians all over the world. We need to pray for Christians in the Western church because let me tell you something, it is but a short time away that the full persecution and the weight of the government comes down upon the Christian church in America. John MacArthur states, the spiritually healthy person is devoted to the welfare of others, especially believers. On the other hand, the root of both psychological and spiritual sickness is a preoccupation with self. Oh, by praying for the church, by coming into the saints as we come together here, we need to be consumed with the desires and the will of others, especially our other brothers and sisters in the body. When we are consumed with ourselves, when the object of our prayers are our needs, our wants, and our desires, when we measure God's blessing only by what is given to us material, materially, and I hear this all the time, oh, God has been so good to you. He has blessed you. you got that new home. you got that new car. you got all this other different stuff. But they're devoid of the life of Christ. That's not God blessing. That's Satan deceiving. Want it now. Get it all. But when we measure God's blessing only by what is given to us materially, then we are considerably outside the will of God. And know not the things of the Spirit. Paul's admonition as he closes out this portion is that we would be praying and interceding on behalf of the saints, which is the church. Let me share something. The church of Jesus Christ is so precious to God the Father and to our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't lose this point, please. That he gave his son for the church. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians that husbands ought to love their wives as Christ loveth the church. And gave himself for it. Church is not a convenience. The church is not something we could choose to go when we want to go. The church is so dear to our God that Christ gave his life for the church. And we are to love the church. And we are not to forsake the assembling of the brothers together. I know there's times we get sick. I know that. That's not what I'm saying. It's the heart that will drive the response to the church. And we are to see the church not from what I get from the church, but we are to see the church as to what I can give to the church. How can I minister for the church? Because when you minister for this church, you minister for the church of Jesus Christ universal. The greatest thing we can do for another believer is to pray for them. And the greatest thing that another believer can do is to pray for us. I am blessed the many times I get a text message that says, I'm praying for you, brother. Got a phone call from a brother the other day. He said, hey, I'm just praying for you, brother. I'm expecting great things on Sunday. That encourages, that edifies, that builds me up. Go back to Ephesians 6.18. So we saw the three things, the three principles that we are to pray, that we are to pray in the Holy Spirit, that we are to pray for the saints and pray for the church. So we close this sermon series calling on the church. Now is the time to arise. Now is the time to awake from slumber. Now is the time for the church to be indeed the church. That we should pray, that we should pray in the Holy Spirit, that we should pray for the church. Let me share something with you folks. The times of darkness have descended on our nation. 
Wickedness is in high places in Washington, D.C. And that's evident in what we see. And maybe you saw some of the confirmation process, just the wickedness that prevails. Wicked, godless people, listen to me, wicked, godless people now rule the land. That's what's going on. Our nation endorses and will soon mandate all manner of wickedness and evil upon us. Our nation's going to mandate this. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. I don't mean to bust any bubble. But we're not going to get better. We're going to continue to go down this slide. These are the words of Jesus. He didn't say the church was going to get better before he returns. He said the church is going to get worse. The world is going to get worse before he returns. He goes on to say, we go on to say our freedoms are being eliminated. They are being eliminated. Both overtly and subtly. But still these evil rulers, and listen well, these evil rulers are not content with this. These evil rulers are not content with just passing laws and attempting to block all things. Let me share something, and it pains me to say this. They are coming for our children, and they are coming for our grandchildren. And they are coming to force and to coerce them to become practitioners of their godlessness. You hear me? It is getting worse. And even though it gets worse, the mission of the church never changes. We are still called to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are still called to make disciples of all men. We are still called to take the gospel into the world. The only difference is here in the Western world, we are going to join our brothers, the 75% of other Christians who live under persecution at this point. If I got up here week after week and preached flowery sermons, woe would be me that I would not prepare you for what is to come. They want our children. And they want our grandchildren. Don't believe me? Listen to Paul in Romans 1.32. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they know. They know their unrighteousness. What you see happening in our culture and in our society, they know their deeds are unrighteous. And although they know that those who practice those things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Led by their master Satan, fed by world forces of this darkness that we saw in verse 12, they are coming for the church. I want that to sink in. They're coming for the church. It's only a matter of time. And their desire is to do away with the church once and for all. What will we do and how will we respond? I don't know when that's going to happen. I have no idea. I'm not a prophet. Listen, we respond by being armored in the armor of the Lord. Praying at all times, praying in the Holy Spirit, praying for the saints. I love this song. It says this, and with this I'll close. O church, arise and put your armor on. Hear the call of Christ your captain. And let the weak say now that they are strong in the strength that God has given which shield the faith and belt the truth, will stand against the devil's lies. An army bold whose battle cry is love, reaching out to those in darkness.
Church, it's time to arise. God has put each and every one at this point in history. We are not here by mistake. May we honor his name. May many come to know Christ as Lord and Savior through our deeds of faithfulness and our acts of love and our clear presentation of the gospel. Join with me in prayer. Father, Lord God, I think about tough times call for tough words. But oh God, what a delight it is for your people to come, your people to come into communion and fellowship with you. Father, the burden on my heart is that the church in this nation would arise. Lord, the burden on my heart that the church Calvary right here, Lord, in Orlando, that we would arise, Lord God, that we would realize the signs of the time, that, Father, that we would draw near to you and draw into you so that you would be our source and our strength, O God. Pour forth your Spirit, Almighty God. Do a great and a marvelous and an amazing work. Lord, cause our hearts to pant for you and to hunger after you, Lord God, that we would desire every word of your word, Father, that we would be practitioners of your will, Father. And Father, Lord, in prayer as we come, that we would find our faith and we would find our strength in you. And Father, I pray that if there would be any here, Lord God, who like Rich said, and who was my experience, Lord, who thought they were right with God because they did something, but never knew the repentance that leadeth to faith, never knew that godly sorrow. Father, may your Spirit through the sword of the Spirit pierce their hearts even today and that they would at the close of this service Lord without fear confess and repent unto salvation so that we might be able to come alongside them Lord and build them up in the most holy faith Father I pray for this church do a great work of your spirit, O oh God. In Jesus' name, amen.